Welcome to the game. It's a beautiful thing. With Mark Duffy. The son of a darkened shearer and a self-described ball-playing jack of all trades. We shouldn't be surprised, should we? Who lit up footy fields in the southwest before becoming WA's preeminent AFL scribe. My goodness! And Glenn, Glenn Quarterman. Wow-wee! A proud Victorian parked permanently in the west who would have played 300 AFL games if not for his incredibly small hands. Goodness gracious me! Together they are Duff and Quarters. You know who? And this is your favourite footy podcast. It's unbelievable! Yes, hello. Thursday, time for the second edition this week of the Duff and Quarters podcast. We are brought to you by TabTouch. Those with the touch, you can better your bet if you download the TabTouch app today. Please gamble responsibly. Please call Gambler's Help on 1-800-858-858 if you have any concerns or run into any difficulties. In the studio with me, our brilliant producer, Shannon, and my offsider with very, very small hands, the great Glenn Quartermain. Quarters. Duff, how are you? I'm okay today. Yeah. Getting through winter. What were you doing 30 years ago? 30 years ago, uh, so this is Thursday... I was probably flying... No, I was already in Melbourne, actually. I spent the entire September in Melbourne uh, 30 years ago mm-hmm. in the build-up to the um, to the Eagles-Geelong Grand Final in 1992. I left after the West Coast um, Hawthorne Elimination Final, which remains one of the best games of football I've ever seen. Uh, flew to Melbourne and was in Melbourne for um, two or three weeks mm. in the lead-up to the game. Well, well I was running a mark. I'll, I'll say that from the outset, but uh, I was in transition. I'd, I'd lived in Geelong for a long time, so I was moving back to Melbourne for a little while. wasn't long before I moved to Perth, actually. Um, but um, and so I was a Melbourne-based football writer uh, during that first premiership of the Eagles, and of course we talk about the Eagles because it's a big weekend for West Coast. It's been a rough year for them, but it's the 30th anniversary celebrations of their very first premiership in '92, yep. which really. Um, signalled the advent of the national competition, uh, really. It, it sort of met, it, it, it franked it, didn't it? It was the coming of age, mm. yeah. I, I've written um, a feature on it today, actually. And um, look, it was kind of, it, as I said in the feature, it felt like a revolution, but it was kind of evolution. You know, West Coast, it was their fourth final series. Sydney had sort of played in a couple right at the start of the what was then the expanded VFL um, but they they'd faded from view and were headed for crisis. Brisbane was sort of like made up of leftovers. Adelaide had just arrived and weren't yet a contender. So, if there was going to be a team that was going to do what the AFL needed done to legitimise its national competition, it was West Coast. Mm. And in 1992, they got it done. I remember what I remember about that day particularly was my thought all week was, what happens if West Coast wins? A non-Victorian team. What's the crowd going to do here? A packed MCG. And after the game, we were all, the media was let out onto the ground. We walked around the um, on the actual oval um, to the change rooms. And I was amazed by the crowd. It was a great positive reaction to West Coast. Um, obviously, a lot of the Geelong supporters has left, which is their right. But it was, yeah, it was really good feedback. Um, I remember Peter Matera running past me with the cup and he had these calf muscles that looked like they were going to explode out of his legs. I remember <laughs> that. And I remember the build-up being very wet and um, the, all the talk was about whether it was going to favour Geelong. And, of course, on the day, it was pretty blustery. It wasn't a beautiful day, but it was not rainy. It wasn't wet. No, it was a typical Melbourne September day, wasn't it? It was overcast, but it wasn't wet. Um, Melbourne so can be very nice in September. Don't be too harsh. To West, West, Coast, <laughs> West Coast didn't have a great record in the wet that year. They got rolled by St Kilda at Waverley. They got rolled by Collingwood at Subiaco. Um, and the, Fitz, <laughs> the Fitzroy game down in Hobart? That was Well, it, that wouldn't have been... Sunny. No. Um, I can't remember whether it was wet. It, I think from memory it was damp, um, and they and Fitzroy beat them by 20 points down there. Um, the big one was at the Witten Oval, then known as the Western Oh, Oval, yeah. Uh, the second last home and away game. And West Coast, had they won that game, would have finished top of the ladder. 
Um, but it was just a filthy day. I remember interviewing Doug Hawkins after the game and he talked about the Eagles players coming off the bus and he said some of them were wearing sunglasses yep. and he thought, oh, we're on here because the sun ain't going to shine at the kennel today, boys. <laughs> well, so I think Bluey McKenna was telling me, Peter Wilson, who played with Richmond, he'd spent some time in Melbourne and he said, oh, I can tell by the sky it's not going to rain today. And about 10 minutes later they were in the change rooms and it was hammers coming down on the roof. <laughs> hey, Willow, never going to be a uh, work for the uh, Bureau of Meteorology, are you, mate? Never going to be a forecaster. Um, so that day, uh, West Coast were goalless at three-quarter time, uh, ended up kicking three goals in the last quarter. I think Chris Lewis kicked their first goal at some point in the last. And I remember thinking, as a West Australian Heading into that grand final, and and most of Western Australia wanted West Coast to win. Mm. You know, I was a West Coast supporter right up until the end of 1994, and then knew I was going to be a Fremantle supporter mm. from day one. Um, but most of us thinking with some dread about the weather. It rained all night, the night before the grand final. It rained at the parade. It rained while West Coast trained at the MCG. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't know, I don't know how they're going to go in the wet. And then it just. It was a nice dry day. It was a nice dry track. Um, Matera was outstanding. Peter Sumich was outstanding. Tony Evans, Brett Hetty. Um, the list of heroes from that game goes on and on and on. A great uh, side, wasn't it? I remember Carl Langdon at the grand final parade the day before. Someone threw a dummy at him. Uh, and so he put it in the mouth and just sucked on it the whole way around. Of course just he left did. it in. As he, absolutely. And I remember one of the great um, uh, sports writers of Melbourne at the time, a guy by the name of uh, Mark Harding. Yep. Uh, he came back and he said, oh, you should have seen what I did. He said, Carl Langdon, I love him. He's just taken on the crowd at the grand final parade, and it was just great. You look at that side, and you know, we're gonna, they, they, I think they've got a private function tonight. Um, at Mineral Resources Park, and then they've got a big function tomorrow at Crown, which is a sellout. Just the players there. They're part of WA footy folklore. You know, Chris Lewis. Um, Chris Lewis, obviously instrumental in the premierships, but 1990, that final series, I reckon it's the best individual performance I've seen in any final series was Chris Lewis in that, in that year. Yeah, he was great, and he was probably, you know, I mean, we all took a great deal of pride in Chris because he was probably the first um, WA player that everyone started talking about as a competition superstar mm. um, you know in, in that young group that came through with West Coast obviously Ross Glendinning came back um, Robbie Wiley came back and, and they played a year or two with them but Louis was the first of the young guns that really people started acknowledging him as the as as good as anyone in the competition Um all West Australians. Yeah. So apart from the coach, Mick Moldhouse was a Victorian, yeah. obviously Ballarat boy, um, the coach. But uh, the twenty players were all; they all came through the West Australian talent development system. Do you remember what Malcolm Blight described the Eagles as after they'd lost? No. Uh, twenty Ruck Rovers. Yeah, good description. That's what he yeah. described them as. Yeah. The other urban myth that perhaps, or whether it's 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 fact, we'll find out this weekend. Hopefully, is uh, Fatty Lamb with the cup. At the airport, going through the x-ray machine, with the cup, on the belt. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's true. <laughs> and, of course, the the um, a lot of interesting, you know, I remember Carl Langdon telling me, I said, geez, you must have had a big night in Melbourne. He said, I didn't. He said, I got back to my hotel. I was exhausted. We had to do our club function, of course, which would have been a great function. But he said, I was just really, really tired. I'd given everything I had and sort of I, I just needed to sleep. But, of course, the next day they arrived and that famous iconic photo of the cup out the front of the plane with the, the captain lifting the cup. So I went to that function. It was at the Hilton Hotel just over the road from the MCG. It was a very subdued function, mm. I have to say. In fact, I remember both West Coast Premiership functions in 92 and 94. They were both very subdued functions. I think the other one might have been at the... Do you think it's because they were out of town? They, they, if it was in Perth? Was, of course, the next day was pretty big, Maybe bracing it? themselves for the big celebration. Yeah. yeah, maybe there was a sense of duty about the celebration on grand final night. Although I remember going to Adelaide's in 97. And Port Adelaide's in 2004, and they were both very bullish, sort of like up and about sort of mm. functions. Whereas West Coast, yeah, there was a, there was a feeling of restraint about West Coast functions yeah. in 92. A bit like 94. Richmond's in 97 and Collingwood's in 1990. Restraint. They're not. Ex that's not exactly the word that springs to mind after those two premierships. Definitely not. Richmond tried to tip a tram over. Imagine yes. if they'd lost. I think my description of the Richmond celebration 
was that they had to close Swan Street because the street was full and so was everyone on it. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Collingwood in 1990, bearing the collie wobbles and, um, you know, it was a great era of footy, really, wasn't it? So a I reckon there was 50,000 at Victoria Park that night. Mm. That's a small area. <laughs> yeah, that's a small area to have The Retreat Hotel would have got a pounding too, wouldn't it? The Retreat Hotel, which is a small pub just outside Victoria Park, and you walk in and you stand there and you think, why does this feel so familiar? And it's because it's where all the bar scenes from the Sullivans were filmed. Right. The Retreat Hotel. Okay. So you feel, it takes you a while to twig, then you look up and there's some memorabilia and you go, aha, now I know what this is. There's some great pubs are in that area. The Baker's Arms. Yep. Just down, which they ruined by putting pokies in eventually. Um, but that was a great pub. And just a bit further up, the Terminus. Remember the Terminus oh, yeah. Hotel? Oh, there's lots of them. And those backstreet pubs in Melbourne, are the, it's the real gold, isn't it? Yeah. Those, those pubs. Look, it's a great, we hope it's a great weekend. I haven't had much to celebrate this year, the Eagles. But um, look, it's, you know, enjoy, enjoy those celebrations. The Eagles playing Geelong. Uh, very timely. Uh, look like they might have a few inclusion stuff. We're talking Sheed, McGovern, possibly Rioli and Ryan, and Elliot Yo. Interestingly, flagging that he will be going back to a halfback flank, which is where he won an All Australian berth. Yeah. So Yo, Yo's an interesting one, isn't it? Like he's had weeks in the waffle. He's had weeks to get ready. So this is not a rushed return as it was with him last year. Um, he hasn't done a lot, and he's been on managed minutes. So I think the half-back line is the right place for I him like to go. it. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he goes, and it'll be interesting to see how he looks physically, because he hasn't looked right physically for the best part it's of the It's where he years. made his name Yeah, at a half-back flank. So I think it's a really good move, and we all hope that he, he finds fitness and form and, and excels back there. Uh, Frio, some sort of good news and some bad news this week. So, Akers, hamstring, not as bad as first feared, but still bad enough to keep him out for a little while. And Switkowski, uh, uh, that's 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 not good news. We're hoping he can play again this year, but there are some doubts over, over whether he will. So, I would be guessing with what happens with Sam Switkowski is that they sit him down for three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. And fortunately for them, one of them's a bye. Um, and then they try and get him moving again and scan the back again and see how it looks. Um, he can get hurt, Sam Switkowski. Um, and he's, he's quite a little man for the way he throws himself around in the game, isn't he? I love him. My understanding is this is a stress fracture as opposed to the result of any impact in the game against Hawthorne. He did go back bravely into James Sicily, Sicily yeah. early, um, and that was a fair old collision, but he got straight up. Um, Matthew Pavlich, the boundary rider, was reporting at quarter time that he spent a chunk of the the first quarter off the ground in the rooms and had come into the game with an issue. Now, I suspect he's come into the game with a sore back. They've um, they've probably given him some medication to get him through the game and then after it, he's been very sore and they've gone and had scans and it hasn't been good. Uh, look, another interesting issue with free, a Frio player. So, uh, in the waffle this weekend, East Perth playing Peel, uh, Sabet Kuek who was drafted mid-season to Fremantle, an East Perth player. East Perth has the right of of refusal to disallow him to play against them, and they've um, uh, exercised that. So he won't be allowed to play for Peel against East Perth this weekend, which is fair enough. That's that's what East Perth wants to do. Both vying for a finals position. So, uh, you know, interesting. It is interesting. He can play reserves, as I understand. Oh, he can, okay. I think he can play reserves, yeah. Um, I wonder if he'd be allowed to play for East Perth against Peel. Yes, exactly. If they, because it basically is an acknowledgement, they still have some claim on him because he's been a mid-season rookie. It's a really good so. call. Um, and would, if that was an option available to Fremantle and Peel, would they do that just so he played a game at Waffle Senior level? It's an interesting question. Yeah, those who uh, argue for the his history of the Waffle would be turning in their graves, wouldn't they? With but all this sort of stuff, they would be. But having said that. Um, you saw the celebrations. I think we've seen them on footage of the celebrations at East Perth when it got announced that Sibbett yes, Quick had yes. been rookie listed by Fremantle. They were very happy for him. One of the main goals of the Waffle Clubs is to get players drafted. And he's a very exciting prospect. He's very raw. And we don't know where that all ends up because of he's, he's thin, but he's very athletic. He's very quick. He's very tall. Um, but there's a bit of bit of potential there to work with. Speaking of celebrations, there's a big celebration in Melbourne this week. 
the Hall of Fame, the Australian Football Hall of Fame. I'll get that right. It's not the AFL Hall of Fame. It's the Australian Football Hall of Fame. If you're listening, John Townsend, make, take note. He's very big on that. Um, but we're five West Australians. Great to see them inducted. So Ted Tyson, who is a, a full forward yep. uh, from yesteryear and a really small, diminutive full forward um, who kicked over 1,000 goals. Held the record for a long time before Austin Robertson Jr. broke it. Um, the great Bill Dempsey. Uh, Nicky Winmar, wonderful, wonderful athlete uh, with South Fremantle and St Kilda in Western Australia. The great, your man, the great Matthew Pavlich, uh, and Mike Fitzpatrick. And there were some other nominations. Michael Taylor from South Australia, Terry Cashin from Tasmania, Brett Harvey, the game's record holder, and Russell Ebert was elevated to legendary sta- status, the late Russell Ebert. Some great names among those. And Western Australia can feel very proud. Five inductees. Yeah, they can. Um, obviously, Pav was a South Australian originally, but yep. played all his footy. Oh, we'll claim him now. Continues to live here. Um, Nicky Winmar, what a great player. You know, his time at uh, South Fremantle, at St Kilda, and um, late in his career at the Western Bulldogs, he was just a supremely gifted player. I remember telling St Kilda people, I was actually in Melbourne in 1986, um, and I remember telling St Kilda people about Nicky Winmar when he first came across You're responsible. Western Australia. No, oh, they'd already drafted. No, they'd already. They, that's but, but they want all the St Kilda supporters want to know who's this Nicky Winmar, you know, and and they there was an assumption from a lot of them that oh, because West Coast were coming into the competition, they would have got all the best of the local players, and and the ones that went over east would have been you know a bit of the leftovers, even though they had the Sandover medalist Mark Bairstow go as well. I did say to them, um, this kid Winmar, he can play, he can seriously play. Um, I actually grew up playing juniors with and against Nicky in the Upper Great Southern. He was a Pindley boy. He tailed you up, clearly. Uh, when we were playing against each other, I tried not to go near him, so I didn't look bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. When we were playing in, we used to play in Upper Great Southern Colts teams together, and he used to play at half forward, and I used to play at full forward, and you used to get a bruised sternum oh, yeah. from leading out and just having these balls fired at you like bullets and hitting you on the, the chest. Um, he was a brilliant player to play in Inducted front Inducted by Tony Lockett, well, the, the induction speech, which is a um, huge thing. He doesn't get out much to plug it, doesn't speak much publicly, so it shows the um, how much he, he um, thinks of him. Also, um, Nicky Winmar's contribution off the field as well to the Indigenous culture and the famous scenes of him at Victoria Park, an iconic symbol. Yep, yeah. Just the, the act of proud defiance, I think, that helped shape the whole fight against racism in football and uh, led to the Michael Long incident a couple of years later. And um, by by the turn of the century, we'd, we'd, come, we'd made great strides, hadn't we, in dealing with racism on the field. Um, there's still a long way to go in dealing with it in our society. But um, I think football has good reason to be proud of a lot of the things that it's done in, in that space. Um, Michael Taylor, I remember being a, a member of those great... Um, I don't know a lot about his South Australian career, but I remember him being a member of those great Collingwood yeah. teams under Tommy Hafey, I yep, think. he was. Um, in the sort of like early 1980s and uh, was uh, a staple of those. Um, Pav was, well, he was the complete player, wasn't he? You know, All Australian midfield forward and defence. Yep, on pretty much every line. And interestingly inducted, first year he was able to be inducted. You know, the other thing about Pav, the interesting thing about Pav was... <coughs> They talk about these midfielders that go forward now, and, and if a midfielder goes forward and kicks a tally in the 30s, they're going, oh, what a great season he had. You know, he was arguably the best player in the competition. In 2010, Matthew Pavlich played mid and forward and kicked 61 goals. 61 goals, mm. playing a mix of mid and forward. And didn't make the All-Australian team and didn't win the Fremantle Best and Fairest. Yeah, whoops. <laughs> it's a pretty fair year. It is. Um, yeah, he was an incredibly damaging player and uh, and a very, very gifted footballer. And Bill Dempsey, um, for more reports, brought the house down, telling your favourite story, Duff. Which the I'll Simpson Desert recount. Medal. Yeah, yes. so, so Billy Dempsey won a Simpson Medal in one of his three grand final wins for West Perth. 69. 69 grand final. And it got lost in Cyclone Tracy. And um, when he was living in Darwin, when he was living in Darwin, and it, it, his mother always talked about you know his, her son winning the Simpson Desert Medal, and um, and Bill used to say, "Mum, 
It's not the Simpson Desert Medal. It's the Simpson Medal. It's named after this West Australian family, the Simpsons. And um, and then the medal got lost in the Cyclone Tracy storm. It turned up in the middle of nowhere years and years later. Andamooka. Andamooka, which is... 2,300 K south of Darwin. In the middle of the Simpson Desert. <laughs> and uh, Bill's mother did say to Bill, I told you, it's the Simpson Desert medal, Bill. Great it's, man. Uh, well, he was a great, great player and an even better person, Bill yeah. Dempson. He, he was, a, um, he, or he is a, an even better person. He was a, a super footballer. Um, I don't have completely fond memories of him because he was part of the West Perth team that destroyed South Fremantle in the 75 grand final, but just a great player, a great ruck foil to Polly Farmer when Polly came back and played at West Perth and a great player for Western Australia as well. Yeah, it's a great night, the Hall of Fame. <clears throat> it is a great night. Yeah, one of, the, one of the great nights of the year. We don't get invited any more quarters, but... Uh, that's all right. Um, We're not being inducted. No, that's, okay. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I would have if my hands had been slightly larger, but nevertheless, <laughs> we should pick some winners. All right, let's do our best. Round 14, can you believe that? Yes, I can. Yeah, I can't. It kind of just slides away from no, the, the football. Feels season. like about round four. Yep. So tonight will be very telling. Um, Thursday night football. Thankfully, I love it. Richmond v Carlton at the MCG. So Richmond, no Dusty, who's sick. Soldo dropped. Surprising, but Tom Lynch in a very big in there. And Carlton missing. Adam Chera injured. Caleb Marchbank injured. In comes the mid-season draftee, Sam Durden, to stiffen that defence. Thought long and hard about this game, Duff. It's actually a really tough round to pick. I'm going with Carlton. Uh, they'll go equal top on percentage. Um, the percentage is a little bit lower, actually, than the others, but they will go equal top. I have faith in the brand. I have faith. Uh, Durden will help. Um, still waiting for Weedering to, to get back into that team, but they're weathering the storm really well, Carlton. I love the way they... Play. I love the way they attack the game. I love the way they shrug tackles. They're very much in the mould of Michael Voss. Richmond, everyone's talking them up. They've won, I think, five out of six. And I can, I can, we, we're all wary of Richmond given what they've produced in the past. But I think sometimes we're thinking of Richmond from four years ago and not Richmond from now. They're a different team. They're still a good team, but I haven't seen them claim a big scalp yet, and I don't think they will tonight. So they're a dollar seventy favourites. Yeah, which Touch. surprises me. Carlton are two dollars fifteen outsiders. That's probably the lack of Wheatering and the lack of uh, Chera, and also the fact that Marchbank, who was a player, they would have earmarked to help fill the hole that Wheatering left. Um, that he's not there either. But yeah, I agree with you. I, I know Richmond have won five out of six. They haven't beaten a lot. No, just yet. Um, I think Carlton are going nicely. I think Carlton will play finals. I think Carlton will finish in the top six. Do you think Richmond will finish in the top eight? Well, I'm still not sure. I, I, I'm, st I'm not totally convinced about them yet. And, um, um, and tonight will tell me a little bit more. But even tonight, if they beat them without Chera and Wiedering, it's still not really beating Carlton at full gallop, no. is it? So I, I think the Blues can get this done. I think this is a really good temperature test for the Blues and their um, if they... I, I do believe they'll play finals, but to have serious flag aspirations, I think a, a, a game like this is a game you need to win. Um, so I'm going to back them in. Yeah, same. St uh, Kilda versus Essendon. Um, St Kilda clear favourites in this one. $1.26 with tab touch. Essendon, $3.75. Essendon still... The most disappointing team of the year. Stinky. Stinky. They yes, are stinky. stinky. And if they can't, they couldn't get closer or get the job done with Dyson Heppel's rousing pregame speech um, last weekend, which I don't... Did you? Was it you that's saying you didn't like it, mate? I, look, I had mixed feelings about it. I, I liked it. I just felt it was a bit stage-managed, you know? And, like, what do your fans want on an occasion like that? They want a strong performance. Is this the way... Essendon would normally prepare for a big game where they needed a strong performance? I don't think so. There's a bit of a, it was just a different night though. It was their 150th anniversary. All the greats were there. You've got a point, but I, I didn't mind. I don't mind a little bit of theatre as long as you show up for the first bounce. Which they didn't. No, which they didn't. <laughs> so I can't pick against St Kilda in this game. Uh, they've surprised me this year, St Kilda. They surprise me every week. Um, I, I just can't pick Essendon. 
Yeah, I'm the same. I think St Kilda. I like the way St Kilda go about it. I like their style of play. They've got a few injuries to deal with out of last week's... They were unlucky last week. ...against Brisbane, but um, I think they'll do enough to get this done. All right, Port Adelaide versus Sydney. Sydney are $1.70. Port Adelaide are $2.15. This is in Adelaide. Yeah. What are you thinking? Yeah, I was I was weighing this game up too, but I'm going to go with Sydney. Yeah. I'm just... Port just lacks something, don't they? They've got, on paper, you look at the Port side, you think they should win this at home. A lot riding on it. But I just don't think... I think Sydney, given where where they've come from, where they are right at the moment, you can really trust an even contribution. There's no gaps in that side. Port Adelaide is it's really hit and miss from week to week. I'm going to pick Sydney to win. Um, I guess it will be a bit of an upset given that it's at the Adelaide Oval, but not on form. Must win for Port really if they want to stay relevant this season. I don't it? think. I think of who the sides clambering for a spot in the bottom part. You don't of the have eight, Port I just don't think of Port at the moment. I just don't think they're up for it. So they're one win too far back. I think perhaps. so. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to tip Port, um, and I. I hear everything you said, and I do like Sydney. This, for me, is a venue pick. So if this was at the SCG, I'd have absolutely no hesitation in picking the Swans. Um, at Adelaide, I pick Port with some hesitation. Um, I just think that it's a must-win for them. If they don't win, they can put the queue in the rack, I think, for 2022. Um, I think they'll turn up, and I think they might just get it done. West Coast versus Geelong, Saturday, 2.35pm at Optus Stadium. This is, of course, the 30th anniversary celebration of the 1992 flag. Geelong are $1.09. West Coast are $7.50. Can you mount a case for a nostalgic victory for West Coast? I can't, but what I can mount a case for... So I'm going to pick Geelong. I think Geelong travelling too well. They're too too organised, particularly at the back. Geelong, but I can mount a case for West Coast being more competitive. We say this every week, Duff. We want to see them halve the contest. I think they can halve the contest and they'll probably even win it. But I think Geelong's too polished up front and way too organised at the back for them to penetrate that. I reckon this would be about a four-goal loss. I think this would be a much improved effort from West Coast. They've had they've had a rest. There's some sore bodies. Uh, they've eased a few aches. They're getting some troops back, importantly. And also players like a Luke Shoe have had a few weeks now to sort of reassimilate themselves into that AFL um uh, the pace of the AFL game, and they've had a week's rest. So I think this will be a much bolder showing from West Coast. They may even be in the game at half time, but I expect Geelong to scoot away with it in the back half. I reckon about a four-goal win. Uh, yeah, I th- think more like a 40-point win, I reckon, for Geelong. I just West Coast haven't shown enough for me, and I would love to believe what you're saying, that you know they get troops back, etc., etc., that... What we've seen from West Coast over the last two years, the names on paper don't equate to the performance out on the field. Um, I think this is too important a game for Geelong. If Geelong wants to stay in that mix for the top four berth, they've got to um, uh, they've got to get wins like this, and they've got to um, do them, um, you know, in a, in a really convincing manner as well to make sure their percentage stays healthy. I think Geelong will win by forty points, mm-hmm. even with the improved West Coast manpower. But we would, I mean, we do need to see something improve from West Coast in the back half of the I reckon year. That, well, you would expect them to be improved in the back half of the year, Duff, if they're having a fair income crack. Correct. Because the names on paper are too good. Exactly. To continue to lose like they've been And losing. if they continue to lose like they have been, then you, the question needs to be asked, are they having a fair income crack? Okay. Well, if they continue to lose, we will ask that question. We will. GWS versus the Western Bulldogs. The Western Bulldogs are marginal favourites in this. $1.85. GWS are $1.95. GWS at home. Quarters, I like the Giants in this. Mm. We're going to disagree on this one. I'm going to pick the Dogs. You know I'm bullish. Pardon the pun. You know yeah, No, I am bullish about the Bulldogs. They've, been, they've not been... It's not been a great year for them, no. the Dogs. And it's not been a great couple of weeks either, particularly in the, in the, in the heels of Bailey Smith. But... There's still enough there, and GWS have been much improved. Under Mark McVeigh, it's been a pretty pretty good period for them, um, the caretaker coach, and they're at home. 
but I just got a feeling this is going to be uh, a bit of a backs to the wall sort of answer statement from the Bulldogs. They don't like each other, these two clubs. No. This is the equivalent. It's, it's as good an, um, an example of a modern-day rivalry as you'll see. Yeah, GWS there's, there's the been dogs. a fair bit of heat in some of their games. Um, obviously, they poached players off each other at one point. You know, Callum Ward went to um, GWS and um, the Bulldogs took Tom Boyd off them and he helped, um, helped them win a flag. Uh, Ryan uh, Griffin also went from the Bulldogs to GWS. It's also the treatment of the Bont. And there have been a few on-field stuff, bit of on-field stuff happening. Well, the Bond got Tobied a couple really? of times, didn't mm. he? Um, and probably in a manner that should have earned Toby more strife than it actually did. So I think, uh, yeah, there'll be some heat on. Um, I like the style of play they're playing under Mark McVeigh. I think it's a bit more modern footy. It's a bit more forward half footy. a bit of change-ups too with Himmelberg, you know, going back and what have you. So I, I, I like what he's done. He's freshened them up. And you know you can mount a very good case for them, but I'm just gonna, just I'm just not finished with the dogs just yet. Okay, all right. Uh, Gold Coast versus Adelaide. Uh, Gold Coast a dollar eighteen. Adelaide four dollars eighty. Really, if Gold Coast wants to stay in the race for the eight, they have not only have to win this, they have to win it well, don't they? It's interesting. I look at this game and I have no hesitation in picking the Suns. I can't remember doing that. Yep. I can't remember seeing a Gold Coast team on paper and saying, yeah, I think I'll pick them. I've just got no hesitation. I'm, I'm learning to trust this brand a lot more. Particularly up there. Yeah, particularly up there. Um, they're hard to beat up there. I, I reckon that's going to be one of the nightmare trips in footy from now on in um, yeah. for the next few years. So, yeah, I, I think this would be a relatively comfortable win too. Yeah, and they just have to – like if they're going to stay in the hunt – they have to take care of their home ground advantage and they have to beat the teams that are down towards the bottom and they have to beat them big. So I think uh, this could get nasty for Adelaide. Now, Duff, it's time for this. Saddle up your camel. It's time for the Thirsty Camel Mailbag. Yes, thank you. Uh, lots of emails again this week. Uh, please let us know you're from Western Australia so you can win the prize and please keep them short. This stuff is the last week of us giving away a carton of Gage Rhodes Albi Draft. I'm excited because as of next week, we'll be giving away a 10-pack of Jack Daniels Old Number 7 Whiskey and Cola. Are you a Jack Daniels man? Um, I have drunk some Jacks over time. Mm. Um, what's the number seven? Not sure, but it sounds good. Um, but this week, at least, a carton of Gage Rhodes Albi Draft. I'll go through some emails. This one from Julian Lopez. Hey, fellas. This question regarding the Tasmanian team debate and North Melbourne. If North Melbourne dig their heels in and refuse to move to Tasmania, are they not the club that will be impacted the most by a standalone team in Tasmania? They are already struggling to get 20,000 members and supporters to games. Wouldn't moving to Tasmania be the best thing for North Melbourne to do uh, to ensure their future in the AFL? Um, I think it's going to get to a point where North Melbourne is going to struggle to survive if they don't go to Tasmania. They were very defiant about going to Gold Coast, didn't want to do it. Um, so that's an interesting thing. Obviously, they have a partnership with the Tasmanian government at the moment. I don't see that continuing if Tasmania doesn't get a team. So I think this is an interesting one for the AFL to negotiate because we're hearing they're getting strong pushback from other clubs about the 19th licence, mm. which points towards a relocated team. North Melbourne is the clear favourite as the team to be relocated. Clearly, their position on the ladder and their position in the market lends itself to that. But having said that, as we know, Quarters, it's hard to kill off a club. And would the North Melbourne supporters view this as basically their club being... They may not off? have an option. Look, I, I, I thought initially that's just not going to happen. Tasmania won't stand for it. They won't throw their resources behind a relocation. They want their own team. But you pointed out a few weeks ago, it's a good argument. If that's the only option... Does Tasmania then say, no, we won't have anything? I think they would go for that if it's the only option. I would be staggered if they've put all the work they've put into it and they don't have a plan B. You know, I'd be staggered that they adopt the Sydney or the Bush approach on this 
I would think that there will be a fallback position and that fallback position will be a relocated team. But it, it will be a complete relocation. It won't be a, um, I'll play five games here and six games in Melbourne. It'll be, no, no, no. We get all the home games here. And then if you can work out a system by which they can play six or seven games in Melbourne to make sure that there are games that their Melbourne members can attend, that, that's great. We're happy to, to see that. But we want our 11 games in Tasmania. I, uh, I don't like it. I hate to see teams go under. Uh, I, I shed a tear when Fitzroy played their last game against Frio here. Yep. One of the saddest days in sport I can remember. I was really upset about it. And I'm not a Fitzroy, I wasn't a Fitzroy supporter. But are we going to be back here in 10 years' time or five years' time if it doesn't happen? I'm just You just worry about the future of North in, in Melbourne. Unless North opens up another market and... and the the read you get on the Tasmanian government on this one is that they're not going to continue to subsidise Victorian clubs to come and play token games down in Tasmania. Now, the Victorian clubs that play there, being North Melbourne and Hawthorne, will argue not token. Hawthorne has a membership, I think, of about 10,000 um, out of Launceston. Uh, I don't know what North Melbourne's membership is out of Hobart, but um, they have been able to to balance their books, if you like, in recent seasons because of the input from the Tasmanian government. They lose that money, they become very non-viable. The other, the flip side of the argument is, though, how does the AFL kill them off because of lack of financial viability when it puts the money it puts into Gold Coast, GWS and St Kilda? Well, the argument would be it's a crowded market in Melbourne. And, 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 well, St Kilda is a good example, but Gold Coast, GWS, they're frontier clubs, aren't they? Yeah. So that's the argument there. Uh, yeah, but would you end up in court? You know, we're talking about... Very possibly. You're, you're talking about an AFL club's licence here, um, and we're talking about a club with 100 years of history. I think North Melbourne joined... 25. VFL in 1925, along with Footscray and Hawthorne. Hawthorne. Um, so Coming up to the 100 years. Yeah, they've been around a while. Which is an interesting timeline, isn't it? It is. If North was to go under. Yeah. Interesting. Because it would be about three years before that team would start. Well, if it was relocated, they could do it straight away. But yep. if it was a start-up, it would be about three, four years. The other interesting thing would be, my understanding is that the building of a new stadium with you know a basically weatherproof stadium would be a big part of the 19th licence. Would the Tasmanian government be prepared to go that far if it was a relocation? Uh, if it's the only option and your name is Tasmania, yeah, the Tasmanian kangaroos or the Hobart kangaroos, I suspect it would be the Tasmanian kangaroos. You don't want to ostracise the, uh, disenfranchise the north of the state. But... See where north now are insisting on being called North Melbourne? They don't mm. want to be called north. Mm. They want to be called the North Melbourne kangaroos, which is probably them preparing to dig their heels in and go... This is, we are identified as the club in the north of Melbourne. Um, so I think that might be one of the first shots fired in the fight against being mm -hmm. relocated. It's not that far from the G, I can tell you. Uh, this one from Anthony, uh, Tony from Mundaring. Hi, gents. Further to the email on Tuesday about options for different camera angles on the broadcast. I like that email. I think an option to mute the commentary would be infinitely more popular as a premium subscription. Oh, come on. We love our <laughs> Channel 7 and Fox commentators. Uh, this one from Willie. Uh, Willie from Jero here. Have been a lifelong fan of North Melbourne. I went. I want to vent and ask what can be done to better or save this club and possibly avoid a Tasmanian move. The treatment of Jason Horn Francis by fans and media and the rush to want to cut this young man down has been appalling. To say that he should be happy for the privilege to play for my ruse is deluded. Um... Have they been watching the same team I have? We should work on nurturing and retaining the talent we have rather than asking for priorities. I welcome the show of passion, even misdirected as it was. The difference in reaction of our fans to that of the Bombers earlier this year is telling. Love your podcast, boys. It's been interesting with Jason Horn francis um, It just shows you, Duff, how good this level of footy is. Here's a kid who has excelled at every level of footy he's played throughout his life up to this point and bang, you enter the AFL. It's hard. Um, I don't think our... My expectations were, given the sort of player he is, um, you know, high forward, going into the midfield, sort of a danger field type, that I didn't expect him to dominate games. And I think the parts of what we've seen have been really exciting 
and he's going to be a great player, a great talent for long periods of time. But I can forgive him for having a few lapses in games. He probably he just looks like he's going to get a rest now for two weeks. But I think it's come at a good time. Yeah, he needs a rest. I mm. mean, they often do, don't they? Kids are coming in. He's had a, every North Melbourne player is having a tough season. Yeah. You go particularly out, when you're the number one draft pick. You're going out and getting belted every week. He gets targeted a bit because he's the number one pick. He's a physical player. He takes it to opposition teams. He's not uh, unhappy or frightened to get in their face and be physical. So that's a big thing for him to pull off in his first season. You know the other thing I would say about Jason Horn francis Jason Horn francis would be having a completely different year if Ben Cunnington were fit and healthy. Yeah. Just that ability, Cunnington's ability to anchor the inside battle to let the op- to let the younger players around and keep their width to fire handballs to them to release them into space um, to to lend some muscle to the heat of the battle would make would have made an enormous difference to Jason Horn Francis and the parallel I would draw is David Mundy at Fremantle with Caleb Sarong the number of times in Caleb Sarong's first couple of seasons where Sarong would just play smart hold his width. Mundy would find the ball, release the ball into space, sarong onto it, handle cleanly, off and out. Um, yeah, I, I feel for Horn Francis. I feel for all the young mids, actually, because it's been a tough year. But it is time for some of them, Simpkin and Davy Zuniak in particular, and Taron Thomas, assuming that he returns to the team after a strong effort in the VFL. It is time for them to start to stand up and to start to take the club forward. Andrew from Karen Uprights, uh, high up and quarters. The AFL has no idea what society standards are. We know it is such a weird bubble that sets its own rules. But how can there be no sanction of Melbourne players or club in general? Do you ag- do you guys agree with that? If I punched a work colleague at a work function, I would rightly get my employment terminated and probably be in court on assault. Milksham has not even borne any scrutiny for his action. His way of dealing with some name calling is to belt him. He has even been lauded at some sort of t- team culture hero it is pathetic go and work on a building site for two minutes and Stephen may has proven he is way outside the no dickhead policy clearly melbourne does not have one <laughs> um i wasn't surprised with the afl statement we've investigated it and we feel no further action can be taken we're happy with melbourne's penalty they actually have copped a penalty well um Stephen may was suspended by the club for a match so there has been a penalty um, they could have suspended Jake Melksham if they, they could wanted. have. He they wasn't c- going to play with that hand. Yeah, they could have done that as well. <laughs> so, it, no, which was an interesting statement in itself, Duff. It was a statement. It was. It was basically them laying the blame for the incident. It was firmly at May's feet. Yep. Um, it's not actually a club function. It was a function the players organised. Um, who were part of the club. So if you and I decided to go out with our families, not um, under the banner of the West Australian, but we went out and you and I got into a stoush and you took one of those very small hands, clenched it, clenched it into a fist and, uh, and, and donged me, would you have your contract terminated if I accepted that I was to blame for it and wasn't prepared to press charges? No, yeah, it's an interesting point. Well, the, the, probably the answer is the... West Australian would probably never see the light of day. No, well, no. Not, well, but, but they would if you're a public figure. Interestingly, the funny part of this, not, not that it's a funny incident, but I think Melbourne was pretty happy when they were going to a French restaurant. They were. They, because they, they thought at least they're not going to a nightclub. Yep. At least they're going to stay out of trouble. That's exactly what they thought. They thought this is a good decision. <laughs> the best laid plans. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't quite work out that way, did it? Uh, this one from Daniel Till. Hi, lads. It has been well documented that moving Griff Logue forward was a masterstroke. Watching Fife and Logue together, however, is frustrating. Neither one has the killer instinct to kick goals or at least have a shot. As soon as they get the ball, they are looking for a pass option. Highly rated key forwards create a contest and will back themselves to have shots on goal and might get three of five. At least have a crack, boys. I feel the Dockers can get away with one pretend forward to create a contest, but having two of six forwards not wanting to have a shot at goal would be could be detrimental in clutch games. Um, I think that's a... We may revisit this in a couple of weeks, depending on how they perform. I think that's a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. Nathan Fife had three looks at goal on the weekend, took them all, kicked one, hit the post with another from a difficult angle, um, and made a mess of a dribble kick from the boundary line. Griffin Logue had two set shots, um, and, I mean, he didn't kick them. 
neither of them was a walk-up start gimme as a shot. Griffin Lowe would have had, what, eight score involvements, I reckon? They Minimum. look a better forward line when he's down there. He competes. Yeah. He gets the ball on the deck. And, and not only does he get the ball on the deck, he's good on the deck. When the ball hits the deck, I I really like their forward line. Yeah, with him, there. it stretches defenses. And I don't mind the fact, you know, I hope that Griffin Lowe kicks if he stays there. I hope he kicks ten to fifteen goals between now and the end of the season. But I'm, if he continues to compete like he's competed in the two to three weeks he's been there, I'll be happy for him to stay there. Yeah. Um, and I think. Provided Nathan Fife starts to believe in his shot shooting a goal again, Nathan Fife will kick goals. I mean, he has in the past. He just had that 6.21 last year that's put a bit of a dent in his confidence. Yeah, it's a one sample size of one game with Fife. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's been, and which was a pretty good sample size, actually. Yeah. I liked his comeback. Uh, Gary from Duncraig. High Duff and Quarters priority picks and new and new team concessions distort drafts and impact teams pursuing a dominant team. The Hawthorne three peak was aided by priority picks. Jared Ruffhead two and Xavier Ellis three. Gold Coast and GWS draft concessions and the MCG grand final rule. For example, in 2015, West Coast first played a grand final at Hawthorne's home ground. They played a team rebuilt with round one priority picks in drafts with no new team draft concessions. West Coast rebuild was in the compromise 2010, pick one became pick four, and 2011 drafts with no first round priority pick. Do you agree? Um... You don't, you don't Roughhead like, a priority pick? You don't like priority picks. I don't like priority picks. Well, given that Roughhead and Franklin were the same draft and one was pick two and one was pick five, I'm guessing that one of them yeah. was a priority pick. Um, did they not trade in? Perhaps not. Um, they did take a lot of top 20 picks over a three-year period, mm. Hawthorne. There was a very clear draft strategy that created that great dynasty. Clearly, the, the real linchpins of that were Ruffy. And Franklin, Jordan Lewis came in that draft. Sam Mitchell was f- not far ahead of them. I think he was the year before. Sam Mitchell was 0-1. Yeah. Sam Mitchell was the super draft. So Luke Hodge, yeah. thanks to my boys, gifting them the top pick for Trent Crowd. Good on you. Um, Luke Hodge picked one. And then part of that trade was Sam Mitchell was pick 36, which also was traded from Fremantle to Hawthorne. The only thing that saved that from being the worst trade in the history of mankind was that Luke McFarlane came to Fremantle and became a great player and and one of the great defenders of his time. So um, they certainly didn't get a lot out of Trent Crowe. They were different times, um, perhaps, but I I don't like priority draft picks now. I don't like um, concessions at all. But unless it's a start-up new team. If you're a West Coast fan and you're opposed to priority draft picks... How does Don Pike, Peter Sumich, Scott Waters, um, there's two more here. Um, I think all of them premiership players, uh, Craig Turley, and there's one more. They were priority draft selections for West Coast after they played in a final series Mm -hmm. in 1988. So West Coast wasn't behind the door when it came to priority selections. Uh, Further, I haven't finished yet, Quarters. Glenn Jakovic and Mitchell White, both all Australians. Glenn Jakovic, a club best and fairest winner. They were priority draft selections in 1990 after West Coast had played in a preliminary final. So... I think there will be clubs who can complain about priority draft selections. I'm not sure that West Coast are one of them. Scott in Dianella, and in brackets, we're collecting a carton of beer will not be a problem. Um, last week, I think I heard Duff say that the Eagles were entering season 2022 thinking they were in contention. In what multiverse were the Eagles ever going to be in contention for anything but a high first-round draft pick in 2022? Also, Duff, you must be happy with the Dockers' improved skill level. I thought in prior years, skill would have cost them the Hawthorne game. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's one of the things that Justin Longmuir worked very hard on. I, I also think as as great a coach tactically and structurally as Ross Lyon was, his blind spot was skill. Um, he believed that it was the players' responsibility and he therefore sent the message to the players that skill was a lower priority and what do you get good at? You get good at the things you value and what do you get to be crap at? You get crap at the things that players believe you don't value and I think that happened over time with Fremantle. I think Justin Longmuir's worked very hard to improve it. Um, West Coast did feel that at the start of this year, they felt that if they had enough luck in running, they had the cattle that could contend again. Clearly, they were wrong. Um, but having said that, 
you're entitled to begin the season thinking you're capable of playing finals. And while I don't think either of us had them in our eight, neither of us had them that far out of the eight, did we, quarters? No. I had them about ninth, tenth or eleventh. Yeah, I had them around the same point. Yeah. Yeah. The J-Dog writes, J-Dog is sick of BT whinging at the umpiring when he is calling games. Also of commentators, sorry, a lot of commentators do it, but he is the worst offender. It does nothing but fuel the public's hatred towards the umps who have already have it tough enough. It would be in the AFL's best interest to tell the commentary teams to turn down the hatred and umpire dissent if they want footy fans and the general public to start respecting umps. I'm off to IGA now to get some chamomile tea. Thanks, the J-Dog. Is BT that bad with the umpires? He does point out what he thinks are controversial moments in games, and I think sometimes he actually gets it wrong, that what he thinks is a controversy is a clear decision. Um, So, yeah, I think he does do that a bit. Um, I don't think you can censor your commentary teams, and clearly... No. Part of Brian's brief is to keep it interesting and upbeat and uh, and if there is a potential controversy to address it. So I don't have a problem with that. Um, it might be that the AFL every now and again seeks to educate him on why decisions are made. You can actually inform yourself a lot on this. So after a while, when I got sick and tired of turning to Craig O'Donoghue and barking in his ear about umpiring decisions... Being a former umpire I realised to tap into his expertise and experience and so if I saw something I didn't understand I would turn to Craig and ask why was that paid the way it was and Craig would often come up with a legitimate and understandable explanation as to why it had been paid the way it was and sometimes he'd just say look at where the umpire was he was on the blind side he couldn't see they're told not to guess and sometimes he would just say no he got that wrong Um, but often what we think is a mistake isn't as clear a mistake as we think. Duff, do you have any uh, preferences for this week's or the last carton of Gage Roads Albie draft? I reckon you do. I reckon you have a clear preference. Uh, for Tuesdays? Yes. Yes, I think so. I think um, Chris from Hocking uh, in Western Australia, uh, I think he wins this week. He, was, uh, he had sent in that fantastic email on Tuesday about the factors taken into account um, when deciding a best on ground yep. over the voting. I think that was a really good email. So, Chris, you are the last winner of the carton of Albie Draft, please send your details to this address. Send your mail to Duff and Quarters at wanews.com.au And remember, when you're sending them in next week, you are competing for a 10-pack of Jack Daniels Old Number 7 Whiskey and Cola uh, from Thirsty Camel. Duff, we'll have to sample it. I don't know what Old Number 7 is. Yeah, I was going to say, they call it Old Number 7 because Number 7 is the one that does your head in. (laughs) You can have six. Don't go back for Number 7. Yeah, it's always the big mistake. Thank you very much for joining us today. We have been brought to you by Tab Touch. Those with the touch can better their bet. Download the Tab Touch app today. Please gamble responsibly. Please call Gambler's Help on 1800 858 858 if you encounter any difficulties. And we will be back on Tuesday to run the ruler over the round. Uh, good luck with West Coast and their 30th anniversary celebrations of their inaugural flag. Good luck to your team and good luck with your tips. If you're a fan of the podcast, why don't you get in touch? Send your thoughts to the Thirsty Camel mailbag at duffandquarters at wanews.com.au. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and of course, tell your mates. Thanks for listening. This has been the Duff and Quarters podcast on the game. You know who? It's unbelievable.